Today's podcast is brought to you by Gamefly.com. Sign up for a premium, free, 30-day, one-game-out trial specifically for Picture Lock listeners at GameflyOffer.com slash PictureLock. to WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Welcome to another episode of the world-famous, award-winning Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, filmmaker, film festival director, film critic, film publicist, and lover of film and TV. You can find all the back episodes and so much more at PictureLockShow.com. The Smart Film Festival is taking place this weekend at American University, This is the only festival in D.C. dedicated to showing films created on mobile phones and tablets. And I have the festival founder, Thomas DeBoss, stopping by to talk about what you can expect to see at the festival this year. Plus, he's giving away 50 tickets to attend the festival for free, so you don't want to miss the discount code. I also have the managing editor of ScreenRant.com, Ben Kendrick, drop in to talk about his journey in film criticism and his day-to-day experiences at the Behemoth website. Finally, I have Destin Thompson, Director of Executive Communications of the Motion Picture Association of America on to talk about the MPAA and what they do other than rate films, because I think that's kind of important to know. (laughs) Destin is also the former professor who sparked my love for deeper analysis of film. So this is a special one, folks, and that's all ahead on Picture Lock. Hi, my name is Sonia O'Hara, and I am the creator and star of Doomsday, and you are listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, and the revolution will not be televised. It will be mobilized. Don't miss the filmmaking revolution, the only festival in D.C. that features films shot on smartphones and tablets. I'm talking about the Smart Film Fest It's taking place this Saturday, June 2nd, at American University. I have the founder of the Smart Film Fest, Thomas DeBoss. Thomas, welcome to Picture Lock. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. It's a pleasure to be with you, man. It's a pleasure to be here with you. We were just talking uh, off the air. Uh, I was moving last year around this time. So I'm glad that we finally get to uh, chop it up and talk about the festival. Indeed, it's overdue, man. Overdue. <laughs> Most definitely. All right, Thomas, so the first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Oh, man, that's a loaded question. Um, obviously, storytelling is always the fabric of uh, a child's imagination. So uh, since I was a kid, I've always been fascinated by storytelling. And um, so I can't frankly recall you know, the film that kind of captured my imagination, it's most actually much later in my adult uh, years, especially in, in college and in early in college that um, um, I got really hooked into filmmaking in a sense, not myself making it, but actually the, in, the kind of the in-depth 
look into filmmaking. One, one film that really captured me was 12 Monkeys, um, uh, the Bruce Willis uh, film, uh, which is a time mm-hmm. travel film. Yeah. I am, uh, I am a, a huge a fan of that genre of kind of time travel. Um, and 12 Monkeys, uh, I'm still watching it, frankly. I've watched it probably 10, 12 times. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm, still, I'm still finding a new, uh, new bits of new insights in terms of you know, the sequential of what, what happened in that film. And I, I thought that was one of the most powerful ways you can actually uh, almost take hostage of a person's imagination of what the filmmaker is trying to say. And I'm still you know, awed by that, by that film. Uh, and so that's when I realized that how powerful storytelling is uh, in a sense of what, what films could be. So that's when I frankly could, could recall being, um, being kind of captured by what, what storytelling and filmmaking is about. Awesome. So I'd love to get into your backstory and, you know, how you started the Smart Film Fest, uh, because your, your, you know, day to day occupation is a little bit different than uh, a lot of the film festival directors that I know. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Yeah, I'm actually uh, I'm, a, I'm a trained economist and uh, uh, I'm also uh, an international affairs um, professional. Uh, working uh, in government, um, and so my day job is frankly is is more. Uh, it's not about you know about storytelling. It's more about international affairs and policy making. Um, but I one concept that I've always been uh, committed to is about democratization, meaning how do you create access to uh, the masses in a sense for them to to feel empowered so they can tell their stories, so they could, uh, you know, shape the future and what have you. And so anything that, that helps democratize access is something I feel, uh, you know, I feel, I feel very passionate about. Um, so I came across, uh, I was attending a conference and, and, uh, and there was a gentleman from Australia who was talking about, he called himself a film breaker uh, about two and a half years ago. And he was talking about how this, you know, he's, he's made films on the mobile phone and he's won all these awards and I'm sitting there and it kind of moved me to for about 45 minutes as he was your phone out and, and showing us you know a bunch of you know hacks and things like that with the phone it, it literally made me for at least for the 45 minutes I thought I was going to be a filmmaker I thought I was going to like this this this, <laughs> this device that is in front of my pocket I got stories to tell I literally felt very empowered by it and obviously I've Leaving after you know after the conference I left, um, I realized I kind of slapped myself and said I'm not going to be a filmmaker, but I want to champion this cause uh, uh, with democratizing uh, access to filmmaking because I know there's a lot of people, uh, especially folks who do not come from you know uh, a, you know from a place of privilege, uh, do not get to 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 tell their stories, and I thought this would be a, a huge phenomenon. I'm kind of a take. A techie, so I went out and started talking to people, and I realized that there was there was you know festivals of the sort in in Australia and in Europe and other places, but there wasn't much in the U.S. There was nothing actually in the East Coast. Um, there was one I think in San Jose, but uh, it's not a uh, it's not as big as uh, as the ones in the in in overseas. So I said, let me just put it out there. And last year we we put it out there, and thinking frankly, Kevin, we thought we were going to get 50 shorts from uh, the D.C. area. 
Mm-hmm. Within three weeks, we had about 400 films. Oh, wow. Uh, that was submitted. And by the time we closed, uh, we received over 2,600 uh, shorts from 110 nations. And I thought at that point, oh, my God, this is much bigger than what I ever thought. I literally was going to do the first year. Um, the festival is going to be in, you know, maybe in my house or something like that. Because <laughs> I didn't think I was going to I didn't think I was going to be, you know, I was going to get that much, uh, you know, that much of uh, submissions. And and um, and. And and the concept as as it developed it became even bigger and bigger than uh, the kind of the small concept that we had. And I was joined by uh, uh, I have two co-founders, uh, Milena, who actually works for Vice, and um, and Bem, um, who's uh, who's actually a a design professional. Um, and they were able, you know, we were able to put together a narrative and a brand that kind of talks about. Uh, you know, the power is within your grasp, literally in your grasp on your hand. Mm-hmm. You got a story to tell, take that phone out. You don't need to have a big production. You don't need to have distribution channels. If you just tell your story, you do it with your phone. And uh, you've started the segment by talking about our our tagline, uh, the filmmaking revolution would not be televised, but it will be mobilized. And in that case, it's being mobilized is in literal sense. It will be mobilized on the mobile device and, and be distributed around the world in a short period of time. So that's essentially how this concept came um, uh, came about and, and how we would be able to put a team together and a partnership together to, uh, to scale it to the point where, and this is our second year, we're now doing it at the American University. The, the, the School of Communication has been so generous uh, for us to support it. And hopefully we'll have a robust audience this, uh, on Saturday to come and check it out. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with Thomas DeBoss. He is the founder of the Smart Film Festival. It's taking place tomorrow as this goes live at American University. Um, Thomas, one of the things that uh, just stood out to me that you just talked about in terms of you uh, are a champion of democratizing you know, storytelling and, and let, making sure everyone's voice is heard. I mean, it seems as though these days, like everyone has uh, some type of a smartphone. And we know that in many of the um, uh, maybe struggling economically uh, cities, even in the U.S., uh, a lot of people have a smartphone because they're able to access the Internet um, via their phone. Uh, And so I, I just wanted to ask you in terms of like the submissions and what you've seen um, that's come through this this year and what people can expect to see, which we'll get into, you know, um, uh, what are the stories that people are telling with their smartphone? That's a very good question. And, and a lot of folks would imagine if they think it's this, these fonts are made on a phone, they think it's just home videos that people are submitting. Uh, this actually completely the contrary. The films that we're getting are very creative, uh, short forms. Obviously, these are short films. They're not feature films uh, that are capturing different types of uh, uh, stories from their communities. And I mean, we have, you know, uh, like categories. Uh, we have we get documentary films, we get fiction, we get experimental, we have music videos, and also we have a, a youth category where emerging talent can actually showcase what they're doing. Uh, but uh, you know, based on what we've seen last year and what we've seen this year, if you look at these shorts, you will never imagine that the budget that they were shot at and the technology they used to shoot them, they would they would compete with any you know full production films that are made in Hollywood or any other studios, and that's what actually you know gives us tremendous amount of 
energy to do this even better is that the the advancement in the in the in the cameras on these uh, on these phones and uh, the apps that now are available now makes it merely uh, undistinguishable in terms of the type of films that are made on the smartphone versus you know full cameras and 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 the storylines so what what we want people to focus on is no longer the equipment that you're shooting but the story the quality of stories that you're telling mm. and i think that to me is what democratization means is that when the barrier to entry becomes almost zero mm-hmm. where you can no longer have an excuse to say i don't have the equipment i don't have the budget i mean we ask one of the questions we ask on the, on the submissions is budget and the the budgets in these firms are in the hundreds <laughs> hundreds of dollars and and because they basically have a story to tell and some of these short films are two minutes but they speak much louder than two hour films right because they they embody a, a, a form that because they don't longer have to uh, you know they don't have to be hollywood they don't have to create you know high you know kind of sci-fi type of things or um things that are not organic because of the form that they're using and the equipment they're using they have to stay true to the organic nature of storytelling so if the stories that you see them you're like oh my god how could someone thought through that and be able to deliver in, in this type of platform so to me it's the the and you'll see and i don't know if you have a chance to come and see it but uh, hopefully your audience will come and see it you will leave awed uh, by the depth of these stories, uh, especially when you find out how they were shot. And then we have information about which specific phones they used. We don't just say they're mobile phone. It's either an iPhone or Samsung or LG, whatever the equipment that they use, they also uh, provide that. So people could be, to me, uh, at least to the team and and the smart film side, our success is measured by the inspiration people take from it, right? Right. We want people to look at it and say, oh, my God, I've always had this great idea that I wanted to, you know, make a film about. Uh, now the equipment is in my pocket. The tools are in my pocket. Uh, and I think that if we could do that, to me, is 1% of the people who show up leave. Hopefully they could submit their films next year. I mean, that, that's nirvana for us. That's amazing. <laughs> and so, I mean, seriously, that's to me is where the, we want to go retail on this side, where people come in and say, you've inspired me. We actually do um, a workshop, kind of a smart, you know, kind of a, a master class uh, on uh, smartphone filmmaking. Uh, Larry Engel, who's a professor at American University, runs uh, about a 45 minutes an hour workshop to show you how to empower you. To, you know, he literally takes you uh, the process of you taking your phone out of your pocket and kind of tools in terms of how to, to shoot a scene that makes it appear as if you shot that thing in a, in a very expensive camera. So you don't just come here to screen for the films, but you're actually also, it's an education program too. For the first half of the, the program is all about education and inspiring you with tools that you need. We have demos. We have Samsung is coming to showcase their cameras, their S9 phone, to show you how you can use that phone to, uh, to make films. So it's not just a screening. Uh, the festival embodies, you know, inspiration, education, uh, and and also giving you access to exposure to products and services that are out there that would equip you for you to be uh, a better uh, filmmaker. Yeah, and folks, I can definitely witness to Professor Larry Engel. Shout out to Larry. When I went to AU and got my uh, master's uh, in film and electronic media. 
Larry is one of my professors. He's definitely a talented filmmaker in his own right. So um, that is going to be a quality workshop over at the Smart Film Festival. And Thomas, if you could, you know, can you just give the folks like uh, just kind of the layout of the, the day and the festival, what they can expect and then how they can get tickets if they're interested in going? So, yeah, the, the festival is, is a Saturday, June 2nd, uh, from 1 to 6.30 p.m. at the American University School of Communication campus. Uh, so the program begins with uh, education. Essentially, we have, uh, as uh, Kevin mentioned, uh, Professor Larry Engel will, will essentially give uh, a masterclass on how to make films on your smartphone. And we also have a, a video uh, a DJ uh, mixing uh, uh, sessions right after him. And so the first segment is if you want to learn, you come at one o'clock uh, for about an hour and a half, uh, you will leave uh, uh, fully empowered in terms of how to turn your, your smartphone into a, a filmmaking device. Um, this, then the second is then the screening. So we, the first, um, segment of it is we will be screening documentary experimental a music video and and um uh, an emerging talent uh, screening and then we take an intermission a break then after that we'll have the fiction uh side of the story uh of the screening and afterwards we'll have an award ceremony and following up with uh, a post-award uh a reception all at the same space and so that's essentially the entire program and actually, we're so excited that our host this year is uh, the celebrity, uh, famous uh, former astronaut and NFL player, Leland Melvin, a buddy of mine. He's actually going to be our host. Um, so we're excited, uh, uh, him, you know, lending his voice and, and, and talent uh, to give people uh, uh, the, you know, empowered to, so they can make films. So, so that's essentially the gamut of the day. Uh, and we'll, as I said, we'll have um, demos from... LumaTouch is one of our sponsors who've uh, created an app uh, that would help you edit your films. Uh, we also have uh, Samsung and others uh, coming to, uh, to demo their products. So that's essentially the, uh, the, 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 the kind of the flow of the day. You're listening to Picture Lock. I am your host, Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the founder of the Smart Film Festival, Thomas DeBoss. Thomas, I think you raised a great point earlier just in regard to how back in the day, like the barrier to entry in making films was the cost. And now most of us have some kind of a smartphone in our pocket and uh, you can certainly make a film, uh, you know, on your iPhone. Soderbergh earlier this year with Unsane, you know, Tangerine uh, did really high. I think that's actually... Um, on, it might be, was it Hulu or Netflix? I'll have to check. I think it's on Netflix. Yeah, I yeah. I think it's on Netflix, yeah. So, so, so the inspiration is all around, and it, to the point where, you know, even in searching for Sugar Man, you know, Oscar-winning documentary had parts of it shot on, uh, on a mobile phone, iPhone. So, um, yeah, like, this is something that is the future. This is where a lot of things are headed. So if you're listening and you want to be inspired, if you're listening and you're thinking, well, you know, I don't know how to shoot a film. That's why there's a master class uh, at the festival. And you could definitely be inspired. I think, as you said, Thomas, sometimes it's not like the long feature film that, you know, packs the most punch. Sometimes it's just, you know, something that was said in two minutes or less. Um, so I definitely would recommend folks if you want to go out and check out the uh, festival. You can go to smartfilm.com, 
film spelled with P-H, so smart, P-H-I-L-M dot com, uh, to find out more information and to get tickets. Uh, Thomas, is there anything else that you want to let folks know about uh, the festival or anything? Indeed, and I think it's going to be an awesome and exciting day. And if you're ever a fan of films or you ever have an idea for storytelling, please come. I I guarantee you that you will leave not just empowered, but also inspired and also entertained. This is an entertaining thing. Um, So that's the main thing. And I think for the... For the folks who are committed to come, uh, I want to put out a, a, a code, um, a promo code, Smart Short. Uh, we have about 50 uh, tickets that we want to give away um, in honor of Kevin. Uh-huh. So if people want to come and check it out, uh, just use Smart Short um, and and come and check us out, please. Well, you know, you, you can't lose with that, folks. Uh, so... Make sure you use that code and uh, check out this festival. Thomas, um, you know, just kind of wrapping things up and in closing, for those that, you know, are hearing the show, but they're not in the D.C. area, they won't be able to make it out, but they're really interested in submitting next year. Um, how can they follow you or the festival on social media, etc.? Awesome. Great. So, yeah, you can follow us uh, on Instagram and on Twitter and everything at, at SmartFilm, SmartPHILM. Um, and uh, the website is, is live, and one of the things we're going to do right after the film festival is we'll probably post the films so people can view them. So one thing we do not want to do is obviously create barrier for people to, to actually experience these, these shorts. So as soon as the film festival ends, we're going to put a post them on our website so people can view them anywhere they are. Because at the end of the day, we, we want to walk the talk that this, this device, these films should also be viewed on your smartphone, wherever you are. So that's something that we're going to do. So do not feel bad that you're not going to be able to make it. If you're not around in D.C., you'll be able to see these films. Uh, and I think that's a key thing. Uh, please tag us at SmartFilm uh, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Snapchat or any other social media. We're, we're also on Facebook. Uh, so come check us out and uh, the revolution again will not be televised it will be mobilized <laughs> I love it it's the founder of the Smart Film Festival Thomas DeBoss Thomas thanks so much for coming on Picture Lock appreciate it Kevin thank you thank you very much for the opportunity man. Uh, let's take a quick break for promos <laughs> stay tuned What's up, guys? Thank you so much for listening to and supporting Picture Lock. I absolutely love film, as you know, and have given my life to studying the medium. As a filmmaker, I understand what it takes to make a film from its inception to the big screen. As a critic, I've been able to see the business of film from the marketing side of things. And as a film festival director, I've been able to see the distribution side, but more importantly, the enormous amount of talented filmmakers out there creating and crafting stories from their heart. And that's why I've started Picture Lock PR. If you're a filmmaker or producer looking to engage audiences and create relevance around your latest or upcoming project, head over to PictureLockPR.com. We can help you with your film's publicity from pre to post-production. Get more information and see the clients we've helped in the past at PictureLockPR.com. PictureLock PR. Finally, a partner as passionate as you.
Hands from Australia. I'm the writer, producer, director of Bill Frizzella Portrait, and you're listening to Picture Luck. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, and my next guest is Screen Rant's managing editor, head film critic, as well as host of the Screen Rant Underground and Total Geek All podcast, Ben Kendrick. Welcome to Picture Lock. Thank you for having me, Kevin. I'm happy, happy, happy to be here. <laughs> well, man, I am so happy to have you on. The first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? You and I were joking about it a little bit before, but it's like, for me, like, you know, what made me fall in love with film is like a packed theater when I was a kid with a bunch of people excited about a movie. And for me, that movie was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And I went to a midnight screening back when like midnight screenings were like not a thing. They were like a special occasion that they only did like once a year. And uh, there was a, you know, there was a merch place where I could buy a Last Crusade t-shirt and a poster and um, I like I didn't even know who Indiana Jones was. I don't think my dad <laughs> like exposed me to the Indiana Jones films at that point. Um, but we went and saw the Last Crusade, and like I came out of there. The next thing I wanted was like a hat and a you know a whip. Like that, I was so pumped about Indiana Jones after that. And so I think that those kind of movies really embodied my childhood. Like you know, sort of the '80s like adventure, like Steven Spielberg type movies. And so uh, I really do credit that as kind of when I when I fell in love with film. And then that was like followed up by Jurassic Park like a few years later. That just blew my mind when I was a kid because I was a dinosaur guy when I was a young kid. So that was like movie magic, the embodiment of movie magic. Got it. Yeah. And, you know, shout out to my buddy Pierce Cook. He, he has that same affinity. Jurassic Park, I got to ask him. I think he saw it like 10 times in the theater. And, of course, like, this is as a youngster. So that's like asking your parents, can you take me? Can you take me? Um, so yeah, yeah I totally, I, I get it, man. And uh, so uh, your dad must've been pretty cool to take you to a midnight screening. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. My dad's the man. Yeah. We went to like midnight <laughs> screenings all the time. My dad, my dad was a huge nerd. Like I, I recently bought a house and I'm like trying to like, you know, I don't know, like refinish my basement and do these kind of things. And I know nothing about any of that. <laughs> when I was a kid, I had the biggest comic book collection like I had we were at the midnight movies I always had like cool Halloween costumes I had all the action figures like we were big comic collectors and and trading card collectors and yeah my dad was a big my dad was a big kid and I uh I learned a lot of my geeky ways and my and really genuinely my love for film like through him in a lot of ways Wow, that's awesome. All right, so Ben, I want to get kind of a history lesson in your backstory. You know, how did you go from that kid at the midnight screening to uh, becoming the managing editor over at Screen Rant? So like, what was your breaking in story? Yeah, so I like I always had an interest in films. Like I, I went and saw them. Me and my buddies, like, you know, we, we paid for a lot of movies. We snuck into some movies when we were in high school. And uh, but I was I was a voracious consumer of like movies. I saw a movie probably once or twice a week when I was in high school and, and middle school and stuff like that. It was a real regular part of my routine. And uh, I dabbled with film criticism when I was like at the high school paper. And I, I had an inkling that I kind of wanted to be involved in entertainment journalism when I was in high school. So I was on the school paper. I, I went to my initial sort of first year in college. I was a, as a journalism major. So I got a lot of kind of the, the basic foundation of like journalism and, and also kind of an inkling of where things were moving as sort of online 
publications were starting to kind of appear and, and print was sort of starting to question like its place. And, uh, but it, it wasn't until I went and got a master's in creative writing in New York that I, I really got involved in it. And I sort of, I sort of fell into it because I had a good friend of mine who, you know, some of your listeners may know, Kofi Outlaw, who went to the, uh, the, the same university I did for our MFAs. We were, we were classmates and we talked about movies and film and, Iron Man and, you know, this wave of superhero films and stuff that were coming through the pipeline. And we had a real, real love for film, and we saw film really similarly. And uh, he started writing at Screen Rant, and he basically just sort of pulled me in. I, I was working at Game Rant, actually, first, which was our video game side of, of Game Rant. The two are no longer affiliated once, once Screen Rant was purchased, and I, I sort of came along with it. But, but I think my first my first professional film review was for Greenberg, <laughs> I believe. And, uh, and then I, I just sort of spun out from there. I kept, I did about one a week after that at Screen Rand, And then I started taking on some of the bigger movies. And then I started kind of heading up a lot of our, uh, our scheduling and screenings and stuff like that. So yeah, I just kind of, I, I wish I had like this storied tale of, you know, of like hard work pays off. And, and there was a lot of that. Like, uh, you know, I think anybody who's sort of successful will tell you that success is a combination of a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of hard work and then a little bit of luck. And that was certainly my my story. I was kind of in the right place at the right time, but I also, you know, I really hustled and worked my butt off. Um, I was joking with you that, like, like the Screen Rant, the Screen Rant podcast are these, like, these, uh, they're kind of chronicle my love life over the course of a decade and all the relationships <laughs> and sort of... <laughs> fell apart along the way because I was like, I was working a lot. Like every night I would come home from teaching college and I would, I would write like, you know, five or six articles at Screen Rant. And then I would have to run to a screening late the next night. And then I'd be writing a review right after that. And so, I mean, it was a very all consuming thing for a long time, but uh, so a little bit of hard, a lot of bit of hard work, a little bit of luck, I'd say. Yeah. It's Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the managing editor at Screen Rant, Ben Kendrick. Ben, you know, it's... (laughs) Okay, uh, so uh, on that note, uh, there have been times, and I I, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it when she says this, but my wife sometimes, she'll be like, or or she in the past, I think I've done better now. Hopefully, babe, she says it. But she'd say, you know, sometimes I think you love film more than me. That always like kills me, and it's but it's like that insane passion that we have for you know film and the craft and 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 criticism and all that kind of stuff. So you know, I've definitely I've definitely learned my lesson uh, of how to try yeah. to compartmentalize. <laughs> but yes, yeah. I I can relate to that devotion and passion. And speaking of that, for me personally, I say Screen Rant, and I know what it's all about. But I say Screen Rant to my wife, and she'll she'll say what. So if you could, yeah. for the audience that's listening, just in case they don't, they, they've never heard of Screen Rant, talk about Screen Rant, what, what you guys do, and then specifically like what you do on a day-to-day over there. So yeah, Screen Rant, we, we've tried, it, it was started a long time ago by a, by a guy that you know, knew very little about writing or, you know, just, I, I don't know, if you just service, they didn't know much about film, but he wasn't like a traditional film critic. Um, and his, his thing was really to try and be like the bridge between film criticism and casual movie guard. So if you read one of his reviews, you'd get like, you know, you'd get maybe a little bit more insight than you would by just talking to your buddy. But then it was also kind of like you could, you know, if you were just wanting to talk to your buddy, like you would also get that too. 
so we really built the site around that, like the idea, like a lot of our news articles, even though we sometimes aggregate sources from other, like, you know, other interviews that other people have done, we do our own, but we, you know, we'll some, someone in another interview will say something interesting and we'll write about it. Like our articles are always like, here's what happened. And then a, a little bit of analysis, like why it matters or why, you know, people should care about this thing that this celebrity said about Avengers four or whatever. And, uh, and so that's kind of how we approach our film reviews as well. Like we really try to be kind of a balance between, you know, like kind of top down, like here's what you need to know about this movie. Here's what we thought of it. And then going deeper and deeper and deeper as, as deep as someone would want to go, you know, into a film review. So we, we try to sort of service both audiences and we really held to that over the years. We uh, we're focused a little bit more on kind of like movies that casual audiences care about. So a lot of superhero stuff, a lot of action stuff, but we also, you know, we do like cover the festival dramas and, and things like that as well. So um, yeah. And as far as like what I do, I mean, my role has obviously evolved a lot over the years. We, uh, I, I really started out as kind of just like grinding through news and doing some features and some reviews. And then I, I kind of was put in charge of um, bringing in new writers. So I was in charge of recruiting and finding new writers that we wanted to add to our stable. And then I was put in charge of the Screen Man podcast. That was sort of my baby from its inception. And uh, we did, you know, like 200 and some episodes of that or something. And, and then we, we transitioned into Total Geek All, which is, kind of a little bit different format, but in a little bit looser. We don't do it every week. We kind of come on when, you know, we have something we want to talk about. And uh, and now, honestly, like, a lot of my job is I don't get to write. I don't see as many movies. And I, I spend a lot of time, like, supporting the, the editorial staff that, that I've sort of empowered through the years now. So I found writers in the comments of Screen Rant that are now some of my editors. I found writers that were fans of the Screen Rant podcast that, you know, were regular participants in that, that, that are now some of my editors. And I've, I've really tried to empower them. And so a lot of my day is, is meeting with them and talking through them with ideas, you know, like we've got Solo coming out this week. So what features are we, you know, are we planning? Like who's seeing the movie early? Who's, you know, who's a big Star Wars fan that has a lot that they're going to want to say about it? And then we start planning content based on that. And, you know, as, as news is coming in, I'm sharing it with our team and we're spinning it out into features. And it's a, it's bittersweet because I miss having my own voice out there. Like I miss getting to sit down in front of my computer with a blank page and say like, I have something interesting to say about this. Or I think people would be more, you know, they're going to want to understand the ending of the movie better or something. And so I'm going to write this thing. Um, but it's been also incredibly rewarding to see like kind of the next generation of Screen Rant taking you know, taking initiative and hustling and, and doing what I used to do. As you were speaking and just talking about how, like, you, you're not necessarily putting your own voice out there as much anymore, can we talk a little bit about how the game has kind of changed in terms of, you know, you kind of have to be everywhere as a critic. And by that I mean, like, you know, not only do you have, like, your website, but you have a podcast um, you know, sometimes like you're also d doing YouTube reviews, definitely have to be, you know, Instagram, Stardust app, Snapchat, all that kind of yeah. stuff. Could you talk a little bit about the balance um, of doing that? But then also um, just kind of going into like the Total Geek All podcast and, you know, what you guys do over there. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, I would be exhausted, I feel like, if I was a new critic starting out having to break through. I mean, we, 
we were really fortunate with Screen Rant. Like we really, like Vic started the site at a time when there weren't a lot of other websites that were, you know, doing kind of niche film, you know, film reporting and stuff. Um, a lot of that was still occurring like in the papers and in, you know, in a lot of the trades and things. So he kind of got in on the ground floor. And then I would say I kind of came in at the opportune time as well when like superhero stuff and things like that became really popular and people were wanting to learn a lot more about uh, these, you know, these superheroes or these comic books or, you know, film in general, maybe. Um, so I, I kind of got lucky in that way that I had a Twitter account and I like, you know, I posted all my reviews to my Facebook and stuff, but it, it wasn't as much like of a, like a, your personal brand type thing. Like I really threw in with Screen Rant and rode Screen Rant as it grew. And, you know, that's sort of my brand, but I kind of, I guess it's sort of bittersweet in that, like, I sort of envy the fact that people have such a direct connection with their followers now. Like, I would love to Twitch stream and just get to, like, you know, like, chat with our readers and our listeners and our, you know, our viewers and stuff and just get to do that for, like, two hours a day. Like, I think that would be awesome. And some of the podcasts and, and things that I listen to, like, I'm sort of jealous that they have that closer connection. But mm-hmm. I also think there's a real danger of, like, doing too much not well enough right Right. so like i don't feel like anybody really realistically and i do see this with people that i you know that are in my industry that some of my you know even friends of mine that are at competing outlets and stuff like you know they they're tweeting all day and they're like you know then they'll do like a live snapchat and then they're at night they're twitch streaming and you know like i'm not sure like where they have the time to actually like write or produce their videos because they're doing so much trying to like maintain their brand right and i think at the end of the day like you have to do some of that now for sure but also like good work speaks for itself to a certain degree like i think if you are writing the best film reviews and you're doing a good job of promoting yourself i don't know that you need to do all of it you know you should be strategic about what um you know what you can do the best so that what you're putting out there is the best and that you're able to reach, you know, an audience and also to cut your losses on the stuff that doesn't, you know, bring value. Like I think I don't tweet a lot because it's just not a great use of my time. Like I, I feel like that time is better spent speaking with my writers, you know, and planning a feature or seeing what other people are writing about and seeing if there's an interesting take that we might have on it. And so I, I do think there is kind of a, a danger of putting so much of your personality out there and not putting enough of your work out there. But uh, if you can be strategic about it and find the right balance, I think it's, you know, it, it's obviously a part of the game these days that I <laughs> am sort of fortunate that I didn't have to hustle in quite as much as, as someone just starting out now. But I, I, I do think like really throwing yourself in with an outlet that is a fit for you is, and kind of building your brand within that brand. If it's a place that really empowers people and supports people and pays people, and it's a place where you can live for a long period of time, I would encourage more people to do that than maybe sometimes, because I deal with a lot of writers sometimes who want to write for us that, you know, they really want to build their personal brand Mm. and they're really reluctant to kind of like throw in with screen rant. Mm -hmm. And I can understand that to some degree, because maybe they don't like half the stuff we put up or, (laughs) You know, are they, they're focused on themselves or whatever, but there is sort of a strength in numbers, you know, and there's also people there that you can learn from and people that can maybe help you and open doors for you. Like I, I really, you know, not to 
sort of toot my own horn because like I think I said earlier, I think I sort of lived this by paying it forward. Like Kofi sort of took me in and I've taken writers in. And like, I would say that those writers that I've taken in that have become editors are probably going to be more successful as a person within Screen Rant that could then maybe go do their own thing down the line Mm -hmm. than they would have been by just freelancing at 10 different places and trying to get their work in as many outlets as possible. Right. It's Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I'm talking to a guy that understands it's better not to be the jack of all trades and master of none. It's Ben Kendrick, (laughs) (laughs) managing editor of Screen Rant. Um, Ben, you know, I think uh, what you just said, it's great advice. And, you know, especially with just kind of hustling and uh, from the ground level of being a film critic, like you got to eat dirt for a while. And sometimes like, you know, like, like you said, it's the experience. It's being there and seeing the big machine and how it works. And then eventually, you know, you can kind of take off and do your own thing. Unfortunately, we're going to have to kind of wrap out here. But if you could, how can people uh, follow you online, social media, as well as Screen Rant? Yeah, you can follow me on Snapchat, Instagram. Da, da, da. No, I'm just kidding. I, the, the main place, to, <laughs> I'm going to just refute my own advice here. No, I mean, the main way to find me is you can always find me at, on Twitter at Ben Kendrick, B-E-N-K-E-N-D-R-I-C-K. Uh, you can find me on Screen Rant. Like, I, I still write occasionally there, but I'm also, you know, I'm in charge of the team there, and, uh, and I stand by most of what we do. <laughs> and uh, I, you can also, you know, subscribe to the Total Geek All podcast. I think we're going to be doing something a little bit different um, in the near future there. We're going to kind of, we're sort of ramping it up again, I think, cause, mainly because of partly what you and I talked about, that I kind of miss the connection that, that I had with our listeners and our readers. And so mm. I'm wanting to kind of, get back out there a little bit more and and start kind of connecting a little bit more but but uh yeah that's it's a, the total geek all podcast is a great way to you know stay with us as well awesome that's screen rants managing editor ben kendrick ben thanks for coming on picture lock i appreciate it man. thank you so much for having me and good luck to you and good luck to your listeners Hey, this is director, producer, writer jill campbell of mr chibs and you are listening to picture lock This is Hamilton Whitney, founder of FilmHamster.com, and you're listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, and my next guest, ladies and gentlemen, I got to tell you, uh, there was this boy from Columbia, South Carolina. He went to American University to get his MFA in film and electronic media. He took one class in film criticism taught by my next guest, and it changed his life forever. That is not an understatement. That class really got me uh, thinking about film from an analytical perspective. So I'm really excited to have my next guest on the line with me. He is the director of executive communications of the Motion Picture Association of America, Dessen Thompson. Dessen, welcome to Picture Lock. Thank you, Kevin. It's great to uh, talk to you after all these years. And I'm uh, I'm humbled that I did anything to help you uh, have such an awesome you know, step in life. Yeah, most definitely. And it's so good to, to, to get back in contact with you. Destin, the first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Well, I'd have to say it was when I was eight years old and my father led me to a movie theater in England and said, we're going to see Lawrence of Arabia. It's a long movie, so don't fidget. And if you do, you'll have to stand in the lobby (laughs) until the movie's over. And I walked in terrified 
Uh, I loved the movie, and I never fidgeted once. In fact, I think my father fidgeted more than me. <laughs> and um, I realized that this, these movies were really, really powerful, mesmeric things, and I wanted to be part of them in some way for the rest of my life. So going off of that, how did you go from the little boy that was, you know, watching Lawrence of Arabia to you had a, a long time stint as a film critic for the Washington Post? So just give us a little of your backstory. Well, um, I, I had a lifelong passion for movies ever since that time, and I was what in you know what you might call a film geek in those days. Uh, which was just reading film magazines and telling people silly facts that they probably didn't want to know about movies that I had picked up. Um, and then I went to college and I realized that I could actually take something which then was a novelty called communications and you could study films and get a degree for it. And I thought, well, I better take this before they tell me I can't do this because this could not be allowed. It's too much fun. Um, and then I... Long story short, I got a job at the Washington Post uh, in journalism, and then a job of movie reviewing became available. And I thought, boy, I think I'm, think I'm qualified to do this because I know a lot about movies, um, and uh, I've studied them in college, and I also have a voice, you know, which I think can be entertaining and informative. So I thought I had all the components, and I was lucky enough to get the job. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the Director of Executive Communications of the Motion Picture Association of America, Destin Thompson. Um, Destin, if we could for a second, uh, you know, just the love for film. And uh, we were talking a little, you know, off air earlier, just in regard to how you bring something fresh to the conversation uh, as a film critic. And so for all those years at The Post and, and doing all the movie reviews, for the person that might be listening, that, listening that's interested in film criticism, how do you keep you know a fresh voice and bring something new to the profession that is film criticism? Well, I think that people often get so burrowed into the movie that they're reviewing that they forget about the context that they could be looking at it in, you know, instead of just sort of saying it was awesome when that space rocket, you know, did a zigzag through the air. <laughs> just, you know, I think it, I think it's great to talk about context, you know, life, you know, yesterday I was, I almost got sideswiped by a car and it looked just like, I'm, you know, something that's, you know, there's just more to it, you know, look at things beyond just the movie and then, it starts to enrich what you see in the movie. And so I think people need to not get so narrow cast into just reviewing the movie per se and think of all the things that, you know, it provokes in them or instills and, you know, excites them. Uh, I, I always find that the reviewers that I liked most were people like in the New Yorker and the New York times who they sort of went, you know, I felt like I had eaten a nutritious meal after <laughs> you know, the the review instead of feeling like I had just heard what someone thought and that was it. Right. You know? Yeah, that totally makes a lot of sense. So, uh, you know, for the audience, shortly after, uh, I guess, even my time at at um, AU, you went on to have another life and a different career. 
But then now you're in uh, the Motion P- Picture Association of America. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if you could just briefly kind of say, like, what you did, but um, we'll focus more on the MPAA. If you could, like, tell folks what does the MPAA do other than, like, ratings? Well, just to answer your, the first question you had, which was what I did before this, was I worked as a speechwriter in the Obama administration. So my departure from movie reviewing was in public policy, so I was writing speeches to do with U.S. foreign policy. And then I came back to the Motion Picture Association, and so it, it kind of came full circle. Now, the Motion Picture Association is essentially the Washington lobbying arm for the Hollywood studios, and it looks out for the interests of those big six studios, uh, presently big six. Um, so that includes, yes, ratings is a part of that, but also a big part of what we do here is protect creativity itself. Our movies around the world are pirated and stolen and downloaded illegally, so we uh, work with governments around the world um, and other partners to protect the creativity that is so important to making this industry the iconic entity that it is. I mean, the U.S. film industry is right in the DNA of America and America's creativity. So we're protecting what we consider to be an an enshrined national treasure. So that's one thing. And the other thing we do is we work for the men and women whose lives are caught up in the movie industry. So the Hollywood is not just Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. <laughs> it's it's the guy who made the the set. It's the prop master, and it's the the guy selling popcorn to you in the movie theater. All those people's lives are caught up in the movies as a livelihood, and they go they have to put food on the table for their children and families. So when we fight piracy, we're not just sort of saying, "Hey, give Angelina Jolie more money uh, than she already has," which she, by the way, deserves if she made the movie, just like you would. Um, but we're talking about the people that worked what we call, you know, below the line, the ones you don't hear about, the people who do the special effects and all those people, that's an entire industry. So we're all about, you know, a big segment of a creative industry here. And we also bring tax, you know, we bring money into states. So when we go film in Georgia, for instance, lots of people are hired there. Lots of businesses do business with us. Uh, so we're an economic, you know, important factor in in our economy. So there's a there's a lot going on that isn't just about how great movies are, but like how important it is to support the people that, that make those movies. So uh, just to kind of piggyback off of what you're saying, like I think at, um, many barbershops in America, you you know, there's the DVD guy, the guy that's like selling all of the bootleg. Uh, mm-hmm. DVDs and even you know my kids and I and my, my wife we were watching Black Panther um, just this past weekend and you know there's always that um, uh, the kind of warning right before you know the movies on the DVDs and I think many times we just skip over that but could you kind of burrow down um, you know just briefly into like how does this actually affect me because otherwise like yeah, like it's easier to get, you know, the Black Panther for two bucks from, you know, the DVD bootlegger 
versus, you know, purchasing it. And I'm playing devil's advocate because I wouldn't do that. But um, how does this, like, can you bring it to a personal level of, like, why I should care? Well, the reason that you should care is the reason you're, let's say, buying the illegal film is because you want to see the movie and because you love movies. And if you keep supporting those who illegally profit from it, it'll make Hollywood make fewer movies because they're not making as much money as they deserved to. And so they're not making the profit margins they need to make the next movie that you love and want to see. So you're, you're biting the hand that feeds you. Totally makes sense. It's Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I've been talking with the director of executive, executive communications of the Motion Picture Association of America, Destin Thompson. Destin, just kind of wrapping things out. One of the cool things about the MPAA website is the credits. Could you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Uh, the credits is a special feature. It's, I, I guess you could call it a blog page on that mpaa.org website. And it does profiles of the men and women who do all the cool things that uh, you kind of, your eyes blur over at the end of the movie. You see all those credits roll by. That's when you, that's when you get up and decide whether or not you're going to throw away that popcorn that you just threw on the floor. Um, but we talk to the men and women that do all the magical things that appear in the movie. You know, the person who made those cool outfits, you know, in Black Panther. Uh, all the, or the, the people who do the stunts, you know, in Jumanji, they do the somersaults through the jungle, you know, and there's men and women who are stunt women that can, men and women who do that. So we're talking to the, you know, all the people in Cinderella's coach, you know, yeah. who make it happen. <laughs> well, that's awesome, folks. You can definitely check that out at, again, mpaa.org. Uh, just look for the credits. Destin Thompson. Director of Executive Communications of the Motion Picture Association of America. Thanks for coming on Picture Lock. Yeah, thank you, Kevin. That's all for this episode. I'd like to thank my guests, Thomas DeBoss, Ben Kendrick, and Destin Thompson for coming on the show. Be sure to use the code SMARTSHORT if you're interested in attending the Smart Film Festival at no cost this weekend in Washington, D.C. Be sure to catch up on the back episodes of the podcast and subscribe in iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever you catch your podcast. If you're a fan of Alexa skills, just say Alexa, play Picture Lock in TuneIn, and I'll come right up. Please, by all means, feel free to leave that five-star review of the show as well. I certainly appreciate it. You can find Picture Lock on most social media. All social media is at Picture Lock Show. Be sure to follow me on the Stardust app for my quick movie TV and trailer reviews. Just look up at Picture Lock Show, and I'm there. Watch back episodes of the TV show at youtube.com slash show and subscribe to see interviews with filmmakers, my movie reviews, and get some incredible value on some things coming up that I'm, I'm keeping a tight lip on right now, but trust me, you're going to find out pretty soon. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out the form on the website. 
Now, I'm starting up a new segment of the show. It's going to be a picture lot question of the week. And this week's question of the week is, what 2018 summer blockbuster are you looking forward to seeing? Send me an email and let me know at picturelockshow at gmail.com or write me a message on Picturelock's Facebook page and I will read your answer on the air next week. All music is done by Mike S. The Prophet 13. Thanks, bro. I'm Kevin Sampson, and until next time, I hope you stay locked on film. For you, the listeners of Picture Locks Podcast, Gamefly is offering a premium free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I used to play PlayStation a ton pre-kids. I had money to buy the latest game out, but I really don't have the time or money like I used to to give towards my hobby. That's why Gamefly makes so much sense. For a low monthly fee, I can get the latest console and handheld game delivered to my door. I keep it as long as I want and can send it right back to get a new one. The cool thing is, if you like a game so much that you don't want to send it back, you can keep it for a low used price. There are never any due dates or late fees. To get your free trial today, go to GameflyOffer.com slash PictureLock. Again, that's GameflyOffer.com slash PictureLock for your free 30-day trial.